What's the crack, scaredy cats? This is a bumper episode of Rona Pine, just for Samhain, or Halloween, whatever you practice, whatever you celebrate. Because we'd recorded for like two and a half hours, we forgot to plug all of our socials. So be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you're listening to this. We are on Instagram at Ronan Pine. You can email us to ronanpinepod at gmail.com. Or you can look us up on YouTube or TikTok um, if you just search Rowan and Pine. Oh, and Facebook too. Anyway, on with the actual show. Emily is such a Hufflepuff. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So rude. We were just talking about how we're not really Harry Potter people. But, like, people tell us that we're, we seem like Harry Potter people. Yeah. Emily's a Hufflepuff. And I was telling her how my husband's siblings were all talking about, like, which group they'd all belong to. And the whole time they're like, as long as you're not a Hufflepuff. And then they're like, Emily would be a Hufflepuff. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> you said it was a bad thing. <laughs> um, Did we say welcome? No, we didn't. We did not. Welcome to episode 11 of Rowan and Pine. Woo! And it's probably... The most special episode, the most specialist, superest, spookiest, happiest, bloodiest, goriest <laughs> episode. The super bestest episode in the whole wide world. Today we're going to be talking all about Samhain. Yeah, aka Halloween, sort of. All Hallows Eve? No, well, yes. Samhain's technically the first day of November, right? It's like All Saints Day. I thought it was a span of like a couple days. Yeah, it's like a, usually a three-day festival. Okay, yeah. You were supposed to do the research on that part. <laughs> I I did. Literally, it says it begins at dusk around October 31st and lasts three days. Okay. So it's, yeah, usually All Saints Day. Also, can we all please applaud Emily for her correct pronunciation of Samhain? Because a lot of her country people do not do that online. Like the meme that I posted on our Instagram, where it was like, the Irish, Samhain, the Welsh, Samhain, and then Americans, pumpkin spice lattes. (laughs) (laughs) I can respect that. Who doesn't love a PSL? Oh my god, yeah. I drove, well, I didn't drive you and drove me (laughs) an hour away from my home to Derry to get a pumpkin spice latte because that's our nearest Starbucks right now. They don't make them at like local coffee shops? Well, not a Starbucks one, you know? Okay. Sometimes it just has to be a Starbucks one because, you know, the OG. Right. My husband just tried a pumpkin spice latte for the first time this year. Oh, really? He was like, I hate to say it, but it was really good. Yeah. I was like, there's a reason everybody loves them. Exactly. For some reason, because I don't really drink like flavored coffee that often anymore. Like I used to love like a hazelnut latte used to be like my jam. But then when I started working in a coffee shop, I kind of like learned more about coffee and I used to try and like do less shit to it. I still like an espresso and I, I like black coffee and stuff like that there. But um, it's just really fucking good sometimes just to get like a coffee that's laced with all of the sugar. And... So would you say that you're a coffee Puritan? <laughs> oh, that's very apt for this episode. Right? I did that on purpose. <laughs> I think you can drink coffee for different reasons. You can drink coffee to appreciate like how... This is me getting super deep into coffee on a podcast, but I'm officially that wanker. But you can <laughs> you can drink coffee for different reasons. You can drink coffee because you want to like appreciate, get a really good like a single origin coffee and drink it like black and the way it's brewed or whatever. Or else sometimes you just really want a really sugary, comforting, massive pumpkin spice coffee. 
You want like a dessert drink. Yes. You just want like a big hug. You know? <laughs> yeah. A big hug and a cup. And both things are equally good. And people need to stop shaming people for their coffee. I was going to say like is coffee like, you know, like the like beer bros. Mm-hmm. Who are really like, oh, you can taste the citrus notes. It's like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> coffee can be like that. Oh my God. Yeah. I used to work in a coffee shop that was pretty well known, like for doing good coffee. And then the owner began roasting his own coffee and it is really genuinely amazing coffee. And yeah, like seeing like the background of it all, like he, have you ever seen anyone doing coffee cupping? No. So it's where you get like a raw grind of coffee and you basically just put a little bit of hot water in it you kind of brew it but you get rid of all the sludge with all the grounds in it and you like sip it from what looks like a soup spoon and it's the best way of getting all of the different notes out of it so that's that's where they get the notes that are written on the bag so it's like this has flavors of dark fruit and and uh, hazelnut and and all that kind of stuff plum it's funny because for the longest time madardo was buying like pre-ground coffee Mm -hmm. and i was like he was like, oh, I wish I could do like whole bean stuff. And I was like, you can just get a coffee grinder. Yeah. And he was kind of like, no, like he, d- I don't know why he gets like this, where it's like, it seems like such a big task to like involve something else. Yeah. <laughs> and then I bought him a coffee grinder for like 20 bucks. And then he was like, oh my God, the coffee tastes so much better. <laughs> I was like, I've been telling you and I'm not a coffee person, but I know. Yeah. There's a reason why like places advertise freshly ground coffee. Right. I'm like, just get the grinder. So yeah, they're totally worth the money. Yeah. That was a a tangent. (laughs) It really was. (laughs) From Halloween to coffee. (laughs) Okay. So like we said, this episode is going to be about Samhain. Emily and I are both covering different aspects of the festival. I'm going to be covering the Irish origins and some history of the festival in Ireland. And then supernatural beings that are well just one supernatural being that's associated with the festival and then i'm gonna take over and talk about you know when the the settlers came to america and what happened with halloween after that so yeah i'm gonna start us off Samhain is one of the celtic harvest festivals celebrated by the ancient celts halfway between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice So we've already covered the autumn equinox. Winter solstice will be coming up eventually. In the winter. (laughs) Are we going to cover that? I don't want to promise that we will because we might not. (laughs) Put it in the schedule. We can cover it. (laughs) Siren begins at dusk around October 31st, which all of you filthy mortals know as Halloween. The festival lasted three days. And it's sort of known as the transition between the years lighter and darker halves. So... This is when everything starts getting really cold and dark and when you get up in the morning to uh, go to work or make your coffee, because we were talking about coffee. <laughs> make your pumpkin spice latte. Go bother your barista. It's it's usually <laughs> still dark outside. So Samhain is or was believed by the Celts to be a liminal time. It's when the veil between the human and the spirit realms is lifted or it's at its thinnest or weakest. For example, fairies who dwell in the other world were who were also like usually impervious to most harm or maybe they were immortal. Um, during Samhain, it was when they became a lot more vulnerable. So when they passed over into this realm, they had to abide by the rules of this realm and also vice versa. So 
like we had the tale of Oshin in Tirnanog in our fairy episode. So when a human passes over into the other world, they, for example, lose their knowledge of time as humans with no time. You just take on the characteristics of whichever realm that you happen to be in, and Sauron is the easiest time to pass between them. Yeah, and they say in kind of like witchcraft and paganism that it's a time where you can mm-hmm. talk to the dead the best or receive messages yes. from the dead. So Sauron for the Celts was actually Celtic New Year because time began in the darkness and their 24-hour days uh, began at dusk. So that's why it begins at dusk on All Hallows' Eve or Halloween. So how did the Celts celebrate Sauron? This is something that I feel like every Irish school child, when we're learning how to read, we're always like made look at pictures of people celebrating Halloween around bonfires and you always get like the same things. It's like mentioned uh, the Hill of Ward or the Hill of Tara in County Meath because it's a big site, which I'll tell you about. <laughs> I was just like, what? <laughs> it's like Irish child bingo. I actually still can see in my head like a reading comprehension book. They always had like a story about, you know, somebody like Halloween or like, you know, somebody had went and got fireworks or, you know, like something just to like make it a little bit more seasonal. So some of this was a little bit revision for me, a refresher, because I'm like, oh my God, I forgot all about this. That's so cool to me that they teach you this in school. And obviously, like, they try not to make it very pagan because, like, well, I went to a Catholic primary school. (laughs) So it's, you know, it'll not be like, this is all the cool shit that happened. But it's like, yeah, (laughs) you can build a bonfire and you can go watch some fireworks and your precious Catholic teachers are like, hail Satan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, everybody gather around and we're going to contact the dead. Even though like it was Halloween, we do like Halloween arts and crafts. A lot of the focus was on All Saints Day because that's the Catholic one. So. so County Meath in Ireland, it's in the province of Leinster. It's like an hour or so outside of Dublin. It used to be the seat of the High King of Ireland. For a while, it was his own province. So we have four provinces in Ireland. It's Ulster, Munster, Leinster and Connacht. And then Tara, kind of like Washington DC, was its own. Even though Meath is only a county, it was like its own little self-contained independent place. Probably for similar reasons that DC is independent or, you know, not strictly part of a state. Yeah. I've still, I don't know. I still am just like, what? (laughs) Today with Washington? (laughs) Hey, I was an embarrassing age when I found out that Washington State and Washington DC are not the same thing. And I'm like, I grew up (laughs) watching American TV. How have I never picked this up? You also don't live here though. So I feel like that's excusable. I know. It would be different if it was like somebody like me. (laughs) It's like, wait, you're like 25. Wait, (laughs) what? So within County Meath, um, we have the Hill of Tara, which I mentioned, that was the seat of the High King of Ireland. But there was also the Hill of Ward. Um, So the Irish name for that is Tlachta. So it's T-L-A-C-H-T-A, which is about 12 miles away from the Hill of Tara. It was the site of the Samhain Fire Festival. And actually now there's kind of been a resurgence. So they have a festival there now every year as well, which is pretty cool. I've never... Not the same fire festival that... was canceled yeah. at that same fire <laughs> festival where a bunch of influencers and and rich people got like r- really sad food rations <laughs> and stranded on an island yeah sleeping on the ground <laughs> <laughs> talacta the hill of talacta is actually uh, named after a, a mythological figure talacta was the red-headed daughter of a powerful druid called mog roy um and he himself was the son of fergus who's another like well-known figure 
She had a pretty shitty start into the world of mythology, just like a lot of women seem to have. So she was raped by the three sons of a magician called Simon. No. Also, Simon is a shit name for a magician. <laughs> Why? Anyway, yeah. sorry. Uh, she went with her father to learn the magics practiced uh, anywhere in the world. There's records of her visiting like different places all over Europe. When she reached the hills of Talacta, she bore three sons. Durab, Kuma and Mook, who gave their names to the three regions. So the reason why the hill is named after her is because that is where she had her three sons that were conceived by uh, Rip. She had the three sons at the same time, like triplets? Yeah, that seems to be the way it's talking. And they all had three fathers, which whoever made this up, um, their knowledge of like female biology is a bit... <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Unless she had like three wombs or something, who knows? Not to get scientific, but I learned a lot with fertility treatments. I think mm-hmm. if she ovulated and released three separate eggs and they yeah. were fertilized by three separate males' sperms, yeah, <laughs> it could be possible. I don't think yeah. it's very likely. <laughs> uh, and not all at the exact same time, because it looks like it all happened at one exact time, which is... Anyway, that's how we know that men wrote these stories. I just say, yeah, she got knocked up by three dudes, so of course she's going to have three kids. Of course, that's the way it works. And every time you have sex, you get pregnant. Yes, every (laughs) single time. So to the Celts, the Sound Festival was basically a time for making winter preparations. Um, So it was a time for harvesting crops, rounding up your animals from the fields to either be lodged up for the winter, used for breeding or sacrificed. I think you need to put some music over that. I will. <laughs> Fire and brimstone stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they also would have feasts around this time, abundant in both food and alcohol. Um, which, you know, wouldn't be the Celts if they didn't have food and alcohol. I think just anybody, pretty much. In the Western world. Yeah. If you have a harvest, you're going to get drunk as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) This is not related, but have you seen the videos of um, where it's like deer and stuff who have been eating fermented apples and then they're like walking around drunk? (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. I've also seen like fruit bats. Um, If fruit bats like feed from like certain trees, it'll ferment in their stomachs and they'll be flying and then suddenly get really drunk. (laughs) So it's just like, oh, fuck. It was in Minnesota that there were drunk deer like wandering around people's yards and they're like falling over and stuff like that. And people called wildlife in Minnesota. They're called the DNR, like the, um, oh, my God, what is it? Department of Natural Resources. Yes. (laughs) People were like calling the DNR being like, I don't, there seems to be like all these like messed up deer. Like, I don't know if there's a weird infestation or, Yeah. yeah. And then they're like, oh, they're just, they're just drunk. Do you think deer get hangovers? <laughs> That's a really good question. The deer just like, oh my God, I would do anything for just some water right now. I can't yeah. go to the watering hole. Right. Somebody please bring me some water. I was just thinking, they're like, man, I didn't drink enough water last night. Does anybody know where I could get some hash browns? <laughs> but interestingly enough, uh, Samhain was also a time for the ancient Irish to assemble and settle important business matters. And one of these was the inauguration of the new king. But also tied to this, uh, it was also a time that debts were repaid and trials for the more egregious crimes were held. Uh, with justice meted out accordingly because everybody was gathered together. Although this happening when everyone was eating and drinking <laughs> and sacrificing animals doesn't sound like it really goes together. Yeah. But this is the portion of the podcast where I talk to you about 
<laughs> so I actually found a document. It, it's from a while back, but it is entitled The Ritual Killings of the Kings of Tara. Cute. <laughs> so evidence suggests that kings were killed at the end of their term. At least seven of those kings were killed at the Sion Festival of these recorded ones. Wow. So earlier academics in the ancient Irish thought that the ritual killings, what they were referring to that was just their way of talking about the inauguration ceremony. But the more they looked into it, they were like, oh no, these guys are actually being killed. (laughs) Can you imagine? Your term's about to end uh, and so is your life. Yeah, because I was like, are they killing them just because it's the end of their term? But um, these ritual killings were done in a number of different ways. In four of the recorded cases, they referred to it as a death by the elements. So that was either by earth being buried, air or wind. I don't know how you kill people by wind. By fire or the sun. So fire and the sun were sort of interchangeable. Which, if you're going to kill an Irishman, it's probably going to be by the sun. I was gonna say, but that seems like a long and painful process. Yeah, I think it's. I think maybe what they're getting at here is exposure, okay, to the elements. Or what they would also do is they would double up two of the elements. <laughs> so it would be like I would be know, like, please give me fire and water. Yeah, whatever's the quickest one. Please freaking drown me, my god. <laughs> is drowning quick though? Well, I think it's better than like being buried alive, isn't it? I definitely wouldn't want to be buried alive. Yeah. The, when we were in Boston, we took a ghost and graveyard tour. The guy who was like hosting the tour, he went around and was asking people what their biggest fears were. And he comes up to me and he's like, what's your biggest fear? And I was like, uh, snakes. And he's like, what? And he's like, forget you or something like that. And he kept walking. Why does he and, want something um, that he could torture you with? But then he was like, nobody's afraid of being buried alive. And I'm like, well, now that you bring it up. <laughs> yeah, you have our greatest fear. Not just... A random fear we have on a Tuesday. like <laughs> Really, though, I could have many fears. What are you afraid of? A lot of things. Would you like to narrow it down somehow? <laughs> Seriously. You want, like, the top ten? <laughs> Snakes. Embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> walking alone at night. Things that I'm a little more likely to encounter. Abandonment. Anyway. <laughs> Not being loved by anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Having no friends. People not coming to my birthday. It's like, oh, you want me to be specific, (laughs) right? Right. In five other cases of the ritual killings, it seems that there was a private assassination, but the details of those suggest that it was actually more of a ceremonial thing. So it seemed like, like, oh no, the king is dead, but it was actually organized like ceremonially. There are also some references to a poison or a drug, but there's no evidence that it was a lethal dose so they're thinking that that was to subdue the king so that he could be killed and then four of them have my favorite one uh it's descriptions of a masquerade of the plebs <laughs> which was like it suggests a formal uprising by the common people who are wearing special clothes and masks i love special clothes <laughs> that is the most sound thing you've ever heard let's all rise up kill our king while wearing halloween costumes so, like, if people think the purge was a original idea, it really wasn't. The Irish did it first. So. <laughs> we did it first. Ha ha. <laughs> we did it thousands of years ago on a big hill with a fire. <laughs> Yours wasn't an original idea. You owe us some sort of royalties. Each and every one of us. <laughs> so, why were these kings being killed on Samhain? 
Well, I'm going to tell you. In six of the recorded cases, the king had behaved impiously or tyrannically, which I can get behind. Yeah. You're a prick. You call yourself king. We're going to kill yeah. you. Yeah, dress up in a costume and kill him. He deserves it. So some of the ways he could behave impiously or tyrannically, uh, he could have broken a solemn oath, destroyed one of the fairy mounds, which is absolutely unforgivable, broken his taboos, which there's they don't really go into that, but I'm sure there were some sort of um, uh, social norms that they had to abide by. Or the most interesting one, uh, he turned away from the pagan religion and adopted Christianity. Ooh... <laughs> Oh, so the pagans sacrificed him. (laughs) (laughs) Pagans were like, Christian, get him. In eight of the recorded cases, there is evidence of festivals being held in a seven-year sequence. So it's suggested that um, after the seven-year term, which interestingly, that's how long the Irish president serves for, the seven-year term, they were then killed and the new king was inaugurated. Wow. So that is... um, a pretty gnarly way to end your term. Can you imagine if, like, the British did that? Like, King Charles, like, upset some people. Like, oh, well, he has to be publicly killed on Halloween. Yeah. For, like, <laughs> presidents in the United States. Yeah. Man, that would have been a fun uh, 2020. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's like, well, they can't even get him in a courtroom, so. <laughs> For real. They're not going to get him at the top of a hill. <laughs> he will not. They tell him they're bringing him to play golf somewhere. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. You're gonna play golf and then the elements just do their thing. You have behaved impiously <laughs> on many occasions on Twitter. You're a big <laughs> fucking asshole. <laughs> well this sorry, will this conversation end us up on a watch? I know, list? all of a sudden I'm like, uh <laughs> This is not a plan, allegedly in our opinion. We think this. Yeah, it's not a plan. It's just like a wow, what if it's a fantasy. What if this was um. in Back in the daytimes. <laughs> There's an account of one pagan king, Tigernmas. It's T-I-G-E-R-N-M-A-S. Tigger, like from Pooh? Tigernmas? Who knows? I'm pretty sure I mispronounced uh, Niflheim last episode because Ewan was laughing because I said it like Nippleheim. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, it's Niflheim. I was like, well, you didn't correct me at the time. And then so. he goes, Niam. <laughs> <laughs> Tigernmas and his followers assembled each year at Samhain Eve or November Eve on the plane of prostrations to pay homage to the great god Crom Crook and the 12 subordinate gods whose image stood around him. They were so energetic in their devotions that they crushed their foreheads and knees and noses and elbows and 1,003,000 perished. What? <laughs> this is this is a gnarly as fuck sound festival. <laughs> these, these gatherings continued until St. Patrick overthrew the worshippers of Crom Crook and destroyed the idols themselves. Oh my gosh. So St. Patrick's like, no, you're not going to smash your heads and noses anymore. I'm putting a stop to this. St. Patrick's like the cops. It gets called like at a, at a house party. Oh my God. It's just like, absolutely fucking not. It's like, well, <laughs> just, just stop. There is another legend that an early tribe of gods or men, which we refer to them as gods, the Formorians that we were talking about before, they exacted a yearly tribute at Samhain from the more recent settlers the Nemedians, and um, also metal as fuck. The tribute consisted of two-thirds of their children born within the year and two-thirds of the year's corn and milk. They sacrificed their own children, the Formorians. But, I mean, they were a demon race, so... Pretty wild. Yeah, they're the ones the two had and were always fighting. You guys thought that guar was metal. 
sacrificing their children, their corn and their milk, which, you know, that's the top three. <laughs> what more could you want? <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> it's like, we'll take your corn and your milk. And your yeah. <laughs> so now that you know about like how the Irish, the ancient Irish celebrated Samhain and where it all came from, we need to talk about one of the ghosts and ghouls that are associated with the festival. So as Emily had said earlier, the Samhain was known as the night that the dead would return to their former homes for a visit to the living. But it wasn't just the spirits of family and friends that came across the veil. Um, so the fey folk that any humans were unlucky to cross paths with obviously hopped over that border just like me when I'm getting something off Amazon that's cheaper to ship to Northern Ireland. <laughs> so the the fey folk used to come and roam the lands. So the one that we're going to talk about today is the Puka. Puka. Puka is a shape-shifting fairy who is associated with the harvest and he's thought to be the origins of the character Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, Shakespeare. Because he, he has a lot of like the same characteristics. So he's known as being mischievous. He would trick people by shape-shifting into different forms. He would speak in riddles. And he also, anytime you asked him who he was, he more often than not wouldn't tell you because fairy names have power. And if you speak a fairy's name, you have power over them. So you have power over him now? If he comes near me. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, suck it, puka. So I have like a little description that I found in a folklore book. So the Irish puka is plainly the English pook or pup, it would seem, and it denotes an evil spirit. The notions respecting it are very vague. A boy in the mountains near Killarney told Mr. Croker that old people used to say that the pukas were very numerous in the times long ago. They were wicked-minded, black of colour, and did bad things, and would come in the form of wild colts, so like young horses, with chains hanging about them. They did great hurt to benighted travellers. Benighted is such a great word. What does it mean? It's like, in the night. Oh, yeah. I like it. They did great hurt to benighted travellers. Here we plainly have the English puck. It is remarkable that the boy should speak of pukas in the plural number. In Leinster, it was always the, not a puka, that we heard named. When the blackberries begin to decay, and the seeds to appear, the children are told not to eat them any longer as the puka has dirtied on them <laughs> so that's one way of getting your kids to not eat, eat stuff that they find at the side road my mom used to tell me the dogs pissed on them but like <laughs> clearly it's a lot more interesting to say that the the puka has dirtied them. yeah <laughs> uh, that mouse that i had yesterday dirtied all over my room <laughs> no yeah like i just would not be well after that i'd be like clearly it was a very frightened little mouse because he was uh deposited in there by your cat yes <laughs> I just went on like a cleaning spree and the whole room got cleaned. I was laughing so hard at the video you sent me and it was like she was just like eating normally like nothing happened and you were like she's just acting fine. <laughs> she's acting so innocent. Actually yeah. <laughs> she didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah she just there like oh did something happen? I wouldn't know. Yeah did I ruin <laughs> half of your day? <laughs> so there's a pretty well known puka story uh, that is told was told like right up to the last century so there were still storytellers in the west of Ireland so they memorize those stories that have been passed down from generation to generation and like even now you can still go to like uh, like storytelling festivals or storytelling nights where there will be a guy there who just tells you all of the old tales which is pretty awesome this one is called The Buchel Bow by Sean O'Cronin who is a storyteller from County Kerry The Buchel Bow Buchel is Irish word for boy 
and beau is the Irish word for cow. So it's not strictly a cowboy in the sense that we know, like as we think of like from TV, but he's basically like a, a farmhand. Wait, cowboy from TV? Oh, wait, a cowboy as in like a, with the boots and the hat? Yeah, he's not a cowboy in that sense. I was picturing like half boy, half cow. <laughs> No, he's just a farmer. I don't know why. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yours is way more interesting. (laughs) I know. I was like, wow, this is really cool. And you're like, not a cowboy or like a boy cow from TV. I'm like, wait, (laughs) this is this TV show? I love that that's that's where your mind went. Not even a cowboy, like a half boy, half cow. (laughs) Like a centaur, but with a cow. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Can I please call this episode a centaur but with a cow? <laughs> <laughs> yes. A cowboy but not that kind. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh Ooh. my god. There was a farmer who once employed a lad to look after the livestock. <laughs> he was a centaur. He was not a centaur. His job was to house the cows after milking. No sooner was this done that something would jump in his direction in the form of a young horse... It would put its head between his legs and hoist him up on its back. Which sounds like a great time. That done, the creature would take the lad for a rough ride over the countryside. Which is hilarious because ride is like Irish slang for fucking. (laughs) Not that kind of ride. Okay, so the creature would take the lad for a rough ride over the countryside. The morning would be brightening when the lad would get back to the house. (laughs) Emily, stop. When the farmer asked the lad what had kept him out so late, the lad told him, I have... Is this Brokeback Mountain? <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sorry. I'm like trying so hard not to ruin it. <laughs> it's fine. The lad told him what had kept him out so late. It was this like young horse forcing him onto its back. So the farmer said, I have spurs. Put them on you tonight. And if he tries to bring you, give him the spurs. <laughs> and so the lad did. Or half boy, half cow. <laughs> So once he put on the spurs, that night when the the creature came, the thing threw him from his back and the lad was able to come back home early enough. Within a week, the young horse was before him again after housing the cows. Come to me, said the lad, so I can get up on your back. And the animal said, have you the sharp things on? <laughs> Certainly, said the lad. Oh, I won't go near you then, he said. The lad used to attend Scoriocti, which is Irish for house entertainments. Like a house party? So it's like if they're out in a rural area, everyone would gather at like one person's house and that's where they'd have their like parties and stuff. There was one night that he was returning from a Scoriocti. This thing jumped towards him, knocked him off the path into a bush and fell down on top of him. (laughs) This thing just flirting with him at this stage. Soon after, there came a great blast of light down the path. The thing that had knocked the lad down got up and let the lad rise let him stand up again and the thing said to him i saved your soul for you now you'd have been killed by her had you been on the path that was a spirit this sounds like a weird fan fiction it does and who are you said the lad i am the puka and then the puka disappeared and he never saw it again i am the puka and that's actually seems to be like a bit of a recurring theme of like the puka it'll be like mischievous but it'll also do like a kindness to people and like help them or save them Interesting. Yeah, so I actually have noted it's usually chaotic neutral. Um, So some stories have them saving people from devils on the road or encouraging them to hide. Or he's also rumored to be the guardians of some of the older castles in Ireland. Like there's uh, Malahide Castle in Dublin or Slane Castle in County Meath. In Malahide Castle, there is a, a puka door. 
where like Apuka is carved into the door because he's supposed to be like the mythological guardian of the castle. Oh, I was thinking it was like a special entrance for him. No. <laughs> yeah, he's the the guardian of the castle and there were rumored sightings of him out on the grounds around around the castle at times of great turmoil within the castle's history. So Oh, that's kind of like the Mothman. So, of course, I had to go into the archives of people giving their real-life stories of encounters with the puka. And this is one that was gathered from an old lady in my own county telling a story. Now, it's it's a little bit meandering, so I'm trying to tell it with some clarity because yeah. I feel like she doesn't say some very important things. And I, it took me about four times to read it, so... It's like that Shia LaBeouf interview. <laughs> yeah, you're like, what? How did you get there? What are you trying yeah, to insinuate you, here? What are you even saying? So the story is called the Puka of Killian or the Puka of Killeen. Killeen's like the Irish version of the place name. Once upon a time, a farmer went out one evening on business and didn't return or was never heard of afterwards. There was a search made that night and the people had out bloodhounds sent by the police to trace the lost man. No trace of him could be found. So it was the public opinion that the people he was murdered by were a society known as the Molly's men. It was on the top of the Killian Hills that he was supposed to have been murdered. In after years, an old man said that when he was coming from Ardra in the early hours of the morning after the man was murdered, he met a party of the Molly's men carrying the dead body of a man on a door. And they let him off with his life on the conditions that he would never mention that he met them. Well, you're kind of failing there, aren't you, lad? <laughs> they made him swear, uh, made him get down on his knees and swear that he would never tell. So he never told about it for years after. And when he told it as a secret, but the secret, like all secrets, passed from one to the other, which it is the way of secrets. <laughs> the way of secrets. So the man with the dead guy on a door went across the Killian Hills in the direction of Boyle's Loch. And some say that his body was thrown into the loch. Other people say that it was burned in a lime kiln. So... This murder took place around the year 1758. The man who who was murdered by the society had been married twice, but when he was married the second time, he used to give no living, so no money, to the children of his first marriage. So he was a deadbeat dad. Jerk. Didn't pay his alimony. In this society, the men known as the Molly's men are supposed to have been some relatives of his first wife, and they murdered him because he was bad to her and the family that they had together. The dead man's name was Doc Meehan, and he always said that he was a farmer, but he wasn't. Uh-oh. After he was murdered... He was a cowboy. <laughs> he was a buckle <laughs> <laughs> At sunset every evening after this man was murdered, an unearthly roaring used to start, beginning every evening on the same spot, which was supposed to be the killing place of this man, and it ended at the Altcor Road. When the roaring started, the cattle grazing on the hills used to run away towards the house, and the old people said the ground used to shake and the delf on the dresser would rattle. The roaring would last until midnight. So the people in this district then realised who it was that was supposed to have been murdered. They said the puka took the form of a barrel. A barrel, and it was the barrel that was roaring. <laughs> what? And they lived in great terror of this, and it all went away as soon as the puka was put to rest by the prayers of a priest. So enter the priest, Father McGoldrick. <laughs> so, you know, the priest will come and save the day. <laughs> yeah, always. So that man who can't keep a secret, 
The man who was coming from Ardra on the night that the puka was murdered met the puka another night, even though he had been murdered, apparently. But So the man who had witnessed his dead body being carried on a door uh, met him out again behind the Killian Hills. When he met him, the puka wouldn't let him pass until he answered a few questions, like the puka does. And on answering <laughs> them, he was left off. So that man's name was Sean McGuire, and Sean McGuire cannot keep a secret because it's ended up on the internet. <laughs> yeah, shut up, Sean McGuire. Shut up, Sean. Uh, and what's really cute about those stories is everybody, they have to say where they got the story from because they're trying to trace back like where the line of like the oral tradition has come from. Oh, so okay. it said... My grandmother got the above story from her father, James McSweeney of Drimna Capel, when she was about six or seven years old. And this was like a 70 year old lady who was retelling the story. That's so funny. Like, where yeah. did you get it from? Uh, yeah. My dad when I was like seven. Yeah. That's their verification. They have to right? tell you like, this is something that like somebody told me trying to get me to go to sleep at night. Yeah. But, like, I'm telling it like it's the truth. That about does it for the Irish side of Samhain, but we're going to take a trip across the Atlantic with Emily right now. (laughs) All right. So this is the history of Halloween in the United States. Super fun and exciting. I know. Cue Puritan chanting and uh, pitchforks. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I'm just, you know, that scene in Beauty and the Beast. I know that's in France. But, you know, at the end where they're, like, uh, banging on the castle, that's all I can picture when I think of Puritans. Pretty much. That's basically <laughs> exactly how they are. Assholes. I don't feel any certain way about Puritans. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, they do like to cry. They like to cry persecution and then they killed a bunch of women, so. <laughs> right. They're always like, well, you're, like, of the devil. And it's like, you kill people, so. <laughs> yeah. Who's diabolical now? Right. Anyway. Basically, I got almost all of my research from this one paper by this woman. Her name is Ellen Feldman. She wrote The History of Halloween, and it was like a six-page article or paper. I'm not sure. It was published in 2001, but I was like reading it, and I was like, holy crap, this has so much information in it. So shout out to Ellen Feldman. I love when you strike gold like that. Right. And especially when a woman wrote it. I'm like, just thank you. Yeah. Chef's kiss. That was exactly me with like Patricia Liza. I was like, yes. And she actually came up again and something. Sorry, I have my my snuggie. Um, she actually came up again when uh like I was researching like the Hal and the Puka and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, she's everywhere. She's great. Yeah. And this woman, it said that she's a, like a folklorist. Like she researches and stuff, so super cool. As we could all probably guess, Halloween wasn't widely celebrated in colonial New England. Because all of the prude Protestants. Boo, Halloween Protestants. <laughs> boo. <laughs> I mean, not that I like Catholics much more, but boo, Protestants, especially on principle. <laughs> Quote unquote, Halloween was celebrated mostly in Maryland and Virginia as there was a large population of Catholics who celebrated All Hallows' Eve and All Saints' Day. So because of this, the church, the laws, whoever were allowing them to celebrate because, you know, under the guise of like, oh, it's All Saints' Day, it's religion. Mm-hmm. Just like me in primary school. <laughs> we get to teach them about Halloween because there's mass. It's really weird because uh, the stingy New Englanders didn't celebrate any holidays. They didn't even celebrate Christmas at first. I know. I'm like, what? It's Ugh. like, you can't have fun. Yeah. The only holidays that they did celebrate were Muster Day, 
which is the annual day of 18-year-old men enrolling in the military, election day, <laughs> election day, and Harvard, oh my God. And Harvard commencement. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. It's like, how terrible are you people? That's the three like most depressing holidays I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, I'm like, this doesn't sound like a holiday at all. I celebrated election day and Harvard commencement because they're fucking losers. <laughs> Um, this was until the new holiday, Thanksgiving, started being celebrated. Oh, so they made up their own bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So, though the Puritans fought against it, a lot of New Englanders would not stop celebrating Guy Fawkes Day, even though it was a British holiday. Toward the end of the 1700s, young men would parade around with guys or popes of straw for bonfires. John Adams wrote, Punch, wine, bread and cheese, apples, pipes, tobacco, and popes and bonfires this evening at Salem, and a swarm of tumultuous people attending. Soon, Britain's Day of Thanksgiving was getting mixed up with the colony's drive for independence, as New Englanders burned effigies of the stamp man, <laughs> along with those of the Pope and the devil. Whoa. Also, sorry everybody, I am congested today, so I sound like a... I sound special. <laughs> Emily's got some spice in her voice. I do, and in my nose. <laughs> it seems that the New Englanders were celebrating Guy Fawkes Day to substitute celebrating All Hallows' Eve, as the Puritans didn't like the Catholic traditions. Halloween, or Samhain, was associated with paganism and the spiritual world, and we all know how the Puritans felt about witchcraft. <laughs> in the colonies, magic was illegal. So it was it was illegal just to be good fun? then basically or outlawing fun it was illegal it was a it was illegal to enjoy your life yeah and they probably didn't even know about all the king sacrificing like that would have been a legitimate <laughs> guys, reason to ban sound <laughs> yeah you guys missed out on all of that yeah. fun as different beliefs and rituals of different european settlers meshed with native american beliefs and rituals halloween began being celebrated in a new way in the united states the original celebrations include included play parties which were public events meant to celebrate the harvest. Friends and neighbors would gather telling ghost stories, sharing gossip, and even though the church forbade dancing and the fiddle, people would square dance, sing, and clap. This is sounding suspiciously so -y. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny that they forbade the fiddle. I'm thinking it's because like in a lot of the old stories, the devil played the fiddle. So. The devil went down to Georgia. Yeah. Well, these events were important to families who lived on farms because their children who were of marrying age could come together to meet people who lived far away. While the play parties weren't always in October or around Samhain, they were similar in the way that they were celebrated. So it's Puritan Tinder? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Puritinder. Yay! <laughs> By the middle of the 19th century, there were many autumn festivals being celebrated, but not everyone was celebrating Halloween. By the end of the 19th century, there were tons of new immigrants in America, many of them being Irish, who were fleeing Ireland due to the potato famine. So, hey. your people. My people. <laughs> I once had a Canadian guy ask me, he was in Ireland on holidays, and he was like, you know, like, if you if you were starving, why didn't you guys just go to go fishing? And I was like, oh, I wish you would have been here. Yeah, I wish you could have solved the potato famine. <laughs> just a very, very quick crash course for anybody. Irish people were completely subsistent on the potato because it was a very rigid crop the british and the protestant ruling class used to 
take any of the food that was grown and exported to the UK uh, or around the other colonies, uh, even though the Irish people were starving. Also, potatoes are a very good source of a lot of different vitamins and minerals. So if you're going to be really poor and you can only grow one thing, it's a very good one thing to grow. And we couldn't fish because they wouldn't let us. We weren't allowed to fish and we weren't allowed to hunt. (laughs) (laughs) They were shooting us for speaking Irish. You think we were allowed to hunt? (laughs) Oh my goodness. I say we like I was there. It's your people. (laughs) Thank you for the brief history on the potato famine. So with them, when they came over here, they brought their pagan traditions. Oh, spooky. (laughs) Irish girls would roast nuts, peel apples, unravel yarn, stare into mirrors, dip their hands into bowls while blindfolded, and play with fire in an attempt to divine who and when they would marry. Instead of carving out turnips to use for lanterns, they started using pumpkins as lanterns to light their way as they walked door to door in secular costumes, soliciting handouts. Yeah. Your people. Yes, no. my people. The original <laughs> Patreon influencers. Yeah. <laughs> You're like opening the door. Subscribe. Please subscribe. We're in secular costumes. <laughs> I'm a cosplayer. Please subscribe to my Patreon. <laughs> Among the Irish on Halloween, there were also quote-unquote little people who would often commit vandalism. I do not know why they were called little people. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's little people in the modern sense of the world. Yeah. Though most of these rituals were done in urban areas where Irish immigrants had settled, mischief night quickly spread to yeah. rural areas. On October 31st, young men would roam the countryside causing trouble. On the morning of November 1st, farmers would wake up to their gates hanging from trees cows in neighbors pastures and their wagons on their barn roofs oh my god can you imagine i'd be so pissed oh my god i would be raging i get annoyed if a bin blows over people were doing this (laughs) intentionally (laughs) they also loved playing pranks out with outhouses and claimed that mischief was ruined when indoor plumbing was invented (laughs) okay that's what that's a very unique complaint to have You ruined our pranks because you invented indoor plumbing. God forbid we don't have to go outside anymore. After the Civil War, Halloween celebrations still varied a lot across the United States. In Appalachia, pronounced correctly, thank you to my husband who said I said it wrong. (laughs) And she didn't. He said it's Appalachia, and I said it's Appalachia. (laughs) Um, Sorry. So in Appalachia, witches lived with the German and Scottish settlers, and Halloween was their special night of celebration. In the South, voodoo customs associated the holiday with witchcraft, charms, and deceased ancestors. Southwesterners celebrated a joyous day of the dead by taking food, drink, flowers, and candles to the graves of loved ones at midnight on November 1st and staying until the sun rose the next morning. You look so comfy. I am actually, but I can't find where the armholes are, and I don't want to have to stand up to find them, so... Somewhere. There's one. I think the other one's at the bottom. It's like a little bird just flapping around. (laughs) As railroads, telegraphs, and magazines were coming about, it was a way to share information and make America a more unified nation. In 1871, middle-class women all over the country were reading one of the first articles on Halloween, published in, I don't know if it's Godey's or Gaudy's lady book. I think it's probably Godey. How is it spelled? G-O-D-E-Y. Yeah, it sounds like Godie. I feel like Gaudi would be like, I don't know. Anyway. Did you say it's called Ladybook? Godie's Ladybook. <laughs> I want to subscribe Wait. to a Ladybook. That sounds great. I'm sorry. It's Godie's Ladies oh, Book. Oh, book. <laughs> I was like, Ladybook. <laughs> that also sounds like a slang for like Playboy or something. <laughs> it's one of my Ladybooks. <laughs> or it's like a slang for your vagina. Yeah. 
You want to open my ladybook? <laughs> People don't listen to this to get flirting tips from us, so. But they should. <laughs> We've both been in committed relationships for a while, so not the person to ask. I was never the person no. to ask, but especially not now. <laughs> Following this first article published in Godie's Ladies Book, other magazines and newspapers began publishing illustrations, stories, and suggestions for Halloween celebrations. Halloween became less about witchcraft and more about gathering and celebrating. It became so much about gathering and romantic pursuits that mistletoe was hung on October 31st. Oh. People were trying to meet up on Halloween. As the U.S. entered the 20th century, Halloween was all about having fun and promoting community. Allentown, Pennsylvania was the first city to sponsor the first annual Halloween parade. And in 1921, in Anoka, Minnesota, which is not far from where I grew up, this place, this town was actually nicknamed the Halloween capital of the United States. And as what? I was, yeah, as I was growing up, I was like, wait, how is that a thing? I thought it was Salem, but mm, I would have thought it was Salem, but it might be because they held the first citywide Halloween party. So I don't know if it's because they were like one of the first two cities to actually like celebrate Halloween as a city. When I was watching Hocus Pocus 2, all I could think of was like, it's so unrealistic that Salem would be this quiet on Halloween. <laughs> yeah we're like they're just walking around the streets <laughs> trick-or-treating and stuff yeah when we were there is it last week now yes last week it was like pure chaos i bet and i didn't even think of that it was just like my husband had his vacation and um mm -hmm. usually when he has vacation we go to minnesota to see my family but we'd been wanting to go to boston so we're like oh let's do it it would be nice in the fall and uh and then i was like well if we're in boston we have to go to salem I did not even like put two and two together that October plus Salem equals chaos. <laughs> yeah, like I would love to visit in October, but yeah, I just think, especially since you said that, like it, it sounds like it would be crazy. I was telling my therapist about it <laughs> and I was just like, and the whole time I was just like angry, like looking around at all these people being like, ugh, you wannabes. Like, do you actually embrace the darkness? <laughs> and he was like, I see that the punk never left you. And I was like, no, it did not. And he was like, you just sitting there calling everybody a poser. <laughs> when you and I met our priest who's marrying us next week, and uh, he was asking us about our interests, like obviously, because we have to be, he has to show that he's at least met us before. <laughs> So he could talk about us in the homily. Right. He was like asking us what we do for hobbies. And Ewan was like, Neve has a podcast. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, perfect. Tell him about the podcast. He was asking me like what it's about and stuff. And I was like trying to downplay it. So Ewan was like, oh, she did like an episode on folk cures and stuff. And so we were talking about like this holy well. It's not like far from here. And then he was like summing up at the end. And he was like, he was like, yeah, right. So I'll talk about like the groom's interest in music and the bride's passion for the occult. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> Fuck yeah, you will. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. You will definitely talk about this. It's like, you're just making me look good here. I think he meant it as kind of like an insult. Or not like an insult, but like to make me look bad. And I was like, that's amazing. I would love that. Right. To like make you feel a little bit bad. He's like, I suppose. That's like a very, uh, I feel like that's like stuff that parents do. Yeah. Where they're like, she's wearing black again. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah, because I'm cool. <laughs> because I embrace the darkness. Anyway. <laughs> Medieval villagers begged for soul cakes irish immigrants begged for handouts <laughs> sorry that just said yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't mean that as an insult but no, that's I what know. they were doing yeah <laughs> in the 1920s children started dressing up and going door to door trick-or-treating by the 1950s trick-or-treating was an established ritual in the u.s despite what the holiday became over the years 
Young men would still go out looking for trouble, all in good fun. Just putting gates on top of, top of roofs and stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Wagons. But um, this is a direct quote. As families moved to the city, the old purportedly innocent hijinks gave way to more serious vandalism. Youth slashed tires, stole gas caps, and rang false fire alarms, all in the spirit of good fun. In Queens, New York, in 1939, a thousand windows were broken. Oh my god. Yeah, not very funny. <laughs> Jesus. And then, as the United States entered World War II, people began being fed up with the pranks. The Chicago City Council abolished Halloween and turned October 31st into Conservation Day. Wasting products on pranks and bothering families weary from the war just wasn't fun anymore. After V-Day, children went back to trick-or-treating. Youths to making trouble and civic leaders to trying to head it off with community celebrations. Then, in 1950, a group of students from a Philadelphia-area Sunday school sent $17 they had collected trick-or-treating to the United Nations Children Fund, also known as UNICEF. And another holiday tradition was born. A newly rich and powerful America celebrated Halloween by lending a helping hand to the less fortunate peoples around the world. But as the certainties of the 50s gave way to the rebellions of the 60s, which many Americans didn't experience until the 70s, an innocent holiday became an opportunity for tragic accidents. In 1970, a five-year-old boy died from eating heroin, supposedly laced through his Halloween candy, but actually filched from his uncle's stash. A number of other scares, most of them unfounded, followed, and trick-or-treating began to decline. In the late 1980s, however, as President Reagan's Morning in America headed toward high noon, costumed children began venturing out into the streets. And by 1999, 92% of America's children were trick-or-treating. In fact, the spirit and intentions of the old pagan holiday of darkness had finally become so sunny that an affluent Indiana suburb began bussing in less than well-to-do children to share the goodies. Unfortunately, a glut of less affluent trick-or-treaters roaming the well-kept lawn soon led residents to move Halloween to another night, advertised only in the community's association newsletter. So they just moved the whole thing. <laughs> kind of messed up that they, they were just like, oh, there's poor children in the neighborhood? We can't have that. But also, like, when you're trick-or-treating as a kid, like, you always knew which houses would give you better stuff yeah and you're always like walking across <laughs> lawns and stuff of course indiana God, would... it's one night of the year right <laughs> i think they're gonna make a trail still today in the u.s we struggle with christian conservatives who think that halloween is a day to celebrate the devil and want to get rid of halloween or ban hocus pocus too like that lady oh my god that made me so mad <laughs> And I hate that she's getting so many interviews. People are, like, asking her more about it. It's like, don't give her airtime. Yeah. Let's just call her crazy and call it a day. <laughs> Some churches will host trunk-or-treat parties in which they hand out candy in a parking lot and then invite the trunk-or-treaters into the church to talk about God. So, a trap. Oh, my God. Setting a trap. I'm sure that's a sin somewhere. Oh, my God. That's awful. Yeah. Then, we have the more frightening events held in churches in which the church will try to give young people a glimpse of hell. They'll hold morality plays where they show bloody abortions, AIDS patients dying horrible deaths, and greedy businessmen who burn in hell because they spent too much time on business instead of following Jesus. Yeah, because that's the same. That's the same as AIDS. <laughs> and it's all just terrible. It's like... We, oh god god help us actually don't stay away no we're good <laughs> we're yeah we're good <laughs> or like tell your people to quit <laughs> yeah even though there have been many attempts to get rid of halloween the holiday simply won't go away 
There are theories on why this may be, but it seems to come down to the fact that this is a holiday that reminds people of their childhood. Or it's because it gives them a chance to dress up, have fun, and imagine a second chance at the childhood they didn't have. It's not a day in which you need a partner like Valentine's Day. You don't need religious affiliation or have to feel patriotic like on the 4th of July. And It's a day where you can dress up like someone or something that you're not and eat candy. And who doesn't like that? So happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. And blessed Samhain or whatever they say. I don't know. <laughs> oh, thank you. What she said to everybody. Yeah, that's good. Cool. What was your like favorite thing about Halloween as a kid? Or do you like have a big kind of memory that you most used to look forward to? I don't think I have like one specific memory. I don't know. Halloween was always just like a super magical holiday for me. Like I enjoyed it so much. I would just like get this like whole like tingly feeling like in my body just like yes I love this yeah <laughs> when I was a kid I wouldn't be a proper Minnesotan if I didn't mention that I survived the blizzard of 91 okay my parents actually took us out so we were we were almost two years old at that point my parents dressed us up as Dalmatians and took us out in the car and like drove us around trick-or-treating <laughs> I can't remember exactly how much it snowed, but it snowed like three feet or something on Halloween in 1991. Oh my God. Yeah, it was crazy. I follow a Minnesota meme page on Instagram <laughs> and they have like a I survived the blizzard of 91 <laughs> or the Halloween oh. blizzard. <laughs> but I don't remember that because I was too little. I was going to say it probably like defined a generation because there was probably like people that say like five years older than you that are just like, I really wanted to go trick or treating and it was so snowy. Right. I remember this one specific Halloween. We were going trick-or-treating with my dad. And like my parents would not allow us to go trick-or-treating until the sun went down. Because I think at that point it was like past dinner time. And it was like, okay, now you can go bother people. <laughs> we were standing in my dad's garage, like waiting to go trick-or-treating. I don't remember exactly why we were waiting. But there were trick-or-treaters in our neighborhood. And we didn't want them to like come to our door. So we were like, looking out like the little windows in the garage door <laughs> just like are they gone yet <laughs> and that was like a fun night that i remember there was also people on the block behind us there was like this one house and they treated it like it was a haunted house oh and they amazing. would have like yeah they would have people who were like sitting on the porch and stuff like that and they would like chase you if you like came into their yard <laughs> oh my gosh i would love to be like that person in the neighborhood yeah or like there was, I think because of them, like the house next door, they had like a, it was a scarecrow like holding like the Halloween bucket of candy, but it was an actual person. Oh my God. Amazing. So like you'd go to like grab the candy and they'd be like, boom, and you're like, oh my God. What yeah. about you? Do you have Halloween I memories? feel like people only really started trick or treating in Ireland in like the 90s. Maybe the tail end of the 80s. I'm sure somebody will correct me. Yeah. So like there's like. Everybody talks about, and if you even Google this, there's like the quintessential 90s kid Halloween outfit, especially Irish 90s kids. And it was a black bin bag or trash bag and a plastic witch's hat, which I'm sure <laughs> there's probably some, there's probably a picture of you like that somewhere as well. Or did you have proper Halloween costumes? Because there weren't really Halloween shops. You would yeah. get like a hat and a mask or something like that. Or I remember like one Halloween. So, like, Fife's bananas. Interestingly enough, Ireland's biggest export is bananas. Because, what? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, Ireland buys all of the banana crop from, it might be Costa Rica. 
Okay. I was like a country. Anyway, Ireland has the exclusive to buy all of the banana crop. It's all imported into Ireland by this company called Fife's. And then Ireland exports them throughout the world. So bananas are Ireland's biggest export. That is so Isn't weird. It? Just let Costa Rica export It's weird. Them. But Fife's, when I was a kid, they used to do like a coloring competition. And they had this character who was a vampire but he had uh, bananas for fangs and he was called Banacula. <laughs> and I remember winning. And I think like they sent me three. So clearly the bar wasn't very high. I entered the competition where I colored in like a haunted house with Banacula and it was Banacula's like haunted house. And I won like three Banacula masks. And like that was my costume <laughs> for Halloween, Banacula. I got like That's a amazing. vampire's cloak. And I also have memories of... So we have a thing, I don't think you mentioned it in the the things that you listed out, but as that whole tradition of trying to find out who and when you're going to marry, one of the yeah. things is barnbrack. So it's a type of like fruit loaf and they bake a little gold ring into it. And if you get the slice with the ring, it means that you're going to get married. Um, and I still remember like the first time I ever got the slice with the ring and like just being so like fascinated, like that it like. You know, I would watch my mom cut it because I like I really wanted the ring because it was like always this little just like wire ring, like it's yeah. the silliest little cheapest little thing. But I saw it in the shop the other day. And I'm like, I like that you can still buy Barmbrack. I might actually buy cute. one just for fun because it's my wedding year. So yeah, I like how you got the ring. You were probably like eight, and you're like, yes, yes, I'm not going to die alone. Clearly, this bread knows my life. <laughs> <laughs> the bread has predicted my future. <laughs> I remember most of my costumes, mm. but there's not photos of all of my costumes from Halloween. I don't yeah. really know why. I wish there had been photos. There was a year that my mom, um, <clears throat> I wanted a Joker costume, like a like a jester. We couldn't find one in the stores, and so my mom like made one for me. But I think, uh, I think that like because it was like a silky fabric, I remember it just like <laughs> like coming apart. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say, it was probably a fire hazard too, like for a kid. Yeah, (laughs) probably. But I remember being so stoked on this costume and then really sad when like all the seams just started like ripping. And I think my mom was upset too. She's like, I don't know why this is happening, but I think like she can sew, but I think, um, you know, when you're somebody who is not like an expert, like costume designer, because like different fabrics need like different threads and all of that stuff. I think it's just harder when you don't totally know what you're doing. There was like a little pumpkin costume that we had for like a little, little baby. And I think my brother and I both wore it like one Halloween after the other. And I feel like somebody made it for us, but I don't remember. And yeah, I was that. I was a green M&M one year, like a witch probably. Yeah, I don't know. Halloween was always just like really fun for me. Well, definitely the the choice of costumes in America would have been a lot better because we used to like watch American TV shows and movies and yeah. be like, it's just not like it is there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. One of my friends wanted us to do specifically an episode about Halloween in the 90s. Yeah. She was like, because that's when Halloween seemed to just like really pop yeah. off. It's like when all those like Disney Halloween things came out because that was a big influence, I think. Yeah. You know, right. like Halloween Town. But... I remember it being such like a thing. And then it's funny, it's it's like a pipeline. Like you go from trick-or-treating with your parents and then you're allowed to go out like on your own. And then you just end up like yeah. being like 13, 14 year, years old wearing like one slightly Halloween-y thing. 
and just hanging out with your yeah. friends and going around and doing nothing but just hanging out like yeah my friend and i were 15 and we dressed up and we went out for halloween and like we were met with a lot of people being like aren't you too yeah. old for this it's like we dressed up I come know. on <laughs> give us the candy. i haven't dressed up in so long but it's just like i don't like going out in crowds <laughs> Yeah. And I've never lived anywhere where you can have like a good house, par- a good like home party or apartment party. So I just haven't bothered. But I still, I'm Halloween in spirit. I still like, yeah. at least we'll do something to market. Like I'll make a drink and, and watch like some horror movies or marathon something, you know. So. Yeah, we're having a Halloween party this year. Oh, so. amazing. Hopefully that'll be fun. I'm trying to plan, I'm trying to plan like fun games and stuff for that. So fingers crossed. I think you and I will be partied out by then, but um, we'll... yeah, my Halloween party is the day of your wedding. Oh, really? Too. I will be, I'll be celebrating, but I'll pretend it's oh, cool. your wedding. We can, uh, we can badly <laughs> Photoshop you into some wedding photos. <laughs> yeah, in yeah, my costume. In your costume. Everybody all like dressed up for a wedding and you're just there like <laughs> full face paint or whatever. <laughs> yeah it's like did you see that video of the girl it was like nobody told me that we were dressing up as sexy elves and she's like dressed up as Gollum. (laughs) or else it was that one person that was like they said fancy dress so they thought that it was like you know dress up in costume but they meant like dress fancy and there's that one person dressed as the babadook and everyone else is in tuxedos (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um the next time i talk to you guys i will have been married i assume so you will be a married yeah, woman. Yeah, we'll be both acclaimed women. Two old married white <laughs> ladies talking to you about uh, yeah. spooky shit. So I hope you guys have an amazing and safe Halloween. I hope you learned something today. I hope you don't put your neighbor's wagon on their roof. Uh, and don't let the Puritans get yeah, you down. And if you see a little black horse running towards you, close your legs because he's going to take you on a ride. <laughs> <laughs> And if you happen to know any legends about a cowboy, <laughs> please tell us. Yes, a cowboy, a boy cow, a centaur, but it's a cow. <laughs> thank you for sticking with us for this yeah. slightly longer episode. Yeah, we thank you, you for saying for the bumper episode. And um, fuck yeah, folklore. Fuck yeah, folklore. I'm Emily. And I am Neve. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Ihana Hanadiv. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <Bye. laughs>